0: are working our way through the book of Matthew. And this morning we're getting into a, a topic um, that for me is kind of like the, the big elephant in the room uh, with Jesus. And I know that most of you, um, if you are a believer or even if not, have to wrestle through the idea of God healing and how sometimes he seems to and sometimes he doesn't, and there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason behind it. Uh, Even the giant miracle crusades by TV pastors, uh, there are groups of people that go there who claim to be healed, but each one of those is represented by who knows how many who go there with every bit the same amount of faith in things that walk out with the same ailments as before. Some of you have had family members who you would say God has healed. Some of you have had family members that God hasn't healed and it's left a mark. Um, this is a part of my story uh, that I feel like I, I can speak toward, uh, the idea of God healing. And so I want to do that today, I want to look back at the book of Matthew, but I also just want to share with you conversationally from my life story, and I'm going to be fairly vulnerable today, so I want to start with a story that I haven't told many people at all, and I don't even know if I've told my wife. Um, so there was this weekend in Vegas, no I'm kidding, um, <coughs> it doesn't start like that, um, when I was a teenager, I was a young teenager, just old enough to stay at home by myself. And I was an only child, so it was just me in the house. Mom and dad were at work, and there was this storm. And um, and I remember, you know, the storm was, wasn't like a violent storm, but it was an electric kind of storm. There were, there was lightning, and, and and there was this kind of calm after that. And, and I'm watching out the window, and I remember where I was in my house, there in Maslin, Ohio, looking out the side window, and and there was this giant glowing ball that was like slowly working its way kind of erratically, rhythmically through the sky. And then it exploded and was gone. And I remember, I mean, I, I, I remember this vividly. And I remember when my mom and dad got home and I told them, and and it didn't go too well, uh, because you get in the situation where you know somebody and you hear them, and then you have to decide, okay, what they just said. What do I do with that? Because I know that my mom didn't want to believe that her son was was a liar and actually sticking to this lie. Because I was old enough that it wasn't, you know, like I'm just, you know, imagining things. Well, I've gone on to realize that this is a well documented thing, and it's called ball lightning, and only a very small percentage of the population has seen this. Have any of you seen ball lightning? <clears throat> one? No, I'm not. There's one other pathological liar sitting in the back. No, I, I'm kidding. Um, but, but it's a, it's a well-documented, it, it's very rare, it's, they don't know what causes it, but it's been documented and it's historical and it's just this big ball of energy during a storm that can even go into houses and structures and things like that, and often then explodes. Anyway, I say all that not to make you question my worthiness to be up here talking, um, but to say that every now and then something comes into your life, a bit of information um, that forces you to have to decide, what do I think about that? Like you can't just blow off your son who's old enough to know better, who tells you something that doesn't sound real. And, and we're to this point in the book of Matthew now. Uh, the, the first uh, fourth of, of the book is primarily um, teachings from Jesus. And it's easy to accept these teachings. They're good, quality, wholesome teachings, profound teachings. And even atheists will say that these teachings from Jesus are incredible teachings. They, they are... Um, Innovative and provocative and and, and good teachings. But now we get to Jesus the healer. And so I want to read to you. We're we're in Matthew chapter 8. want to strongly encourage you to bring your Bibles or uh, follow along on apps on your smartphone or whatever. There are Bibles, uh, some back there, some back there. Feel free to grab one. and I'm just going to read this passage to you, talk about it a little bit, and then, and then talk about um, my story a little bit. <laughs> when Jesus came down from the mountainside, so again, Jesus was sitting on uh, sort of a mountainous um, hill by the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. <laughs> and immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone Uh, But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. (coughs) So um, Matthew's listeners, and we know that Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish crowd are up to this point taking in these rabbis' teachings. But then it takes a turn to Jesus as the healer. And and what's significant here is, I mean, there's a lot. When, When you look at this story through a Jewish, through a first century Jewish lens, it's a very profound story and would have spoken volumes to an early crowd. So we learned in Leviticus last year when we studied it as a church that leprosy was a was a very serious uh, condition. And, and really, we're not sure, the the word used here could be leprosy, could be some sort of other skin condition. But regardless, this was something that the man needed healed from. But what's even more important in a Jewish context is when you had skin conditions, you were unclean. And what that meant is you were not allowed in public. And, and you were seen as, um, it was sort of one of those physical ailments that was also judged spiritually. So you were unclean, meaning you were sinful, meaning you were sort of rejected by God. And, and and so you can imagine what it would be like to one day, you know, you're employed, you have a family, you have children, and then you have this skin condition where Jewish spiritual biblical law demanded that you remove yourself from the public. To the point where whenever you came into contact with other people, you would have to announce well in advance, I'm unclean. Like you would have to yell that as you walked or someone walked towards you. I mean, this was one of those kinds of diseases that would have a tremendous uh, psychological effect. And and maybe some of you have been there through a sickness or or maybe a a job loss or or a, a divorce or something where you just felt, man, I just feel completely rejected, completely unwanted. Why is this happening to me? And so all Matthew had to say is leprosy, and every Jew understands the condition of this man. And and two interesting things here. One is that this guy gets it. Like he's one of the first ones. They're following Jesus as a teacher. But he sees Jesus as more than just a teacher. And it's interesting because toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a pretty big claim. He says, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, on Judgment Day uh, will be accepted. Uh, Some people I'm going to say, I never knew you depart from me. So Jesus is setting himself up as the judge of the soul. So can you imagine listening to a teacher And then all of a sudden he makes a transition to, I'm going to judge your soul one day. Now that that brings you to one of those moments of, wow, what what do I think about that? And maybe some of you are there today with Jesus wondering, you know, what do I, I can buy that he was a historical figure, I can buy that he was a good teacher, uh, but is he really the judge of my soul? But this guy buys the teaching, I mean, he's in. And he does something that's against Jewish law. He runs up to the teacher and bows before him. Now, this took a lot of guts. And and, and when you think again about a Jewish context in the first century, um, this is Jesus, the holy man. And he's presented in Matthew as Jesus, the Messiah, God as flesh. And you would never have a situation where someone who was unclean would come into the presence of a holy man. And if that happened, it would be a serious situation, like, like the holy man is, is going to try to get away and stay clean, and, and, and you just would never do that. But it says that Jesus, what? He touched this guy. And it could have been the first time in years that this guy had been touched by another human being. Because when it came to leprosy, or any skin condition, you kept your distance. So what do you think if you're a Jewish crowd and you understand the implications of leprosy and you see this Savior, God, with us in the flesh who reaches out to touch the unclean? What would that say to you? I think it continues on in Matthew's desperate desire for us to understand that Jesus is a God of grace who sees the untouchable and reaches out to them. But I think the greatest point of impact, and we're going to move into a section of Matthew now where there's healing after healing, miracle after miracle, is for us today, <clears throat> it's ironic that I'm talking about healing with a head cold, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> um, what do we do with Jesus the healer? Because if Jesus could heal back then, can he heal today? And if he can heal today, how do you get him to do that? And there's plenty of similarities uh, between stories of healing and stories of death. In terms of faith and prayer. Same amount of prayer, same amount of faith. Somebody gets healed, somebody doesn't. It's not uncommon to have somebody talking about how God healed their family member of cancer in the same setting as somebody who had to endure years of prayer and lost somebody. How do you reconcile it? And, and what I want to do now with the rest of my time is, is to walk you through in my own life what God has taught me, and hopefully um, it's, it's of benefit to you. Now, first of all, I believe absolutely that God can heal miraculously and I have seen this. So my mom years ago, uh, they found a lump in her breast and and we're very concerned about that obviously and mom began to pray and a lot my mom is a tremendous person of prayer and she began to pray and my dad obviously and and you know other family members and prayer partners at her church, a mega church with hundreds of people in that prayer ministry, and, um, and, and just prayer, 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 prayer. Okay, so she's in the hospital room, the doctor's office, wherever it was that she was, where they're actually examining this mass in greater detail. They have the ultrasound or whatever machine they use to get an image of what's deep inside you, and and, and there's a nurse there. And Mom is you know praying while they're walking through this, and this nurse is looking at this mass and um, and suddenly she gets this perplexed look on her face, a look of concern, and she calls another nurse, and then they call other doctors, and they 're very concerned by what they see, and Mom doesn 't have a clue what 's going on, and before long she 's like an exhibit at the zoo with you know people looking at this at this screen. And what she found out was happening is that that mass that tumor was breaking up and dissolving while they were watching it on this screen and and my mom is an emotionally healthy person um a very strong person. I know that this isn't something that she you know is is making up for attention that's just not her uh so I have to deal with the fact that God just did something there that he doesn't do all the time. And that, you know, I don't know what it was that, that caused him to say, I want to be glorified by this. And and, I mean, that's as, that's as much of a miracle as I've ever heard that while doctors are looking on the screen, they see this tumor breaking up and dissolving until it's gone. And they watched it play out real time. Um, Since that time, my mom and dad have both been diagnosed with um, cancer, um, gone through surgery and treatment, and are cancer-free. So, like the lady on the screen, I know that it was the treatment, but I also know that it was the God. So I approach life believing God can heal and that God still heals, and at times God heals miraculously. However... Those of you that know my story, uh, you know that I've seen the other side of that as well. Um, When my wife, when I was, uh, it was the day after my 29th birthday, and Kelly was pregnant with our second baby, and we walked into the ultrasound room for a routine exam, and the nurse walked in the door and said, we need to talk about your ultrasound, and um she went on to explain that there was evidence of some chromosomal chromosomal abnormality, possibly Down syndrome, um, but it was some pretty strong evidence. And we've come to understand Down syndrome differently than we did then. We didn't know a thing about it. We just knew that it was something that you usually didn't want to hear about. Um, and we were terrified, and we were horrified, and and... We cried and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And and I have to say, I mean, there were nights where I would spend hours um, deep into the morning um, in what would be Lexi's nursery. Um, Lexi was was our baby. Um, Praying, begging God, fasting. Uh, I agonized. Fully believing, you know, God, I know you can heal. I know you can fix. I, I, I've seen you do it. I know you're going to do it. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I fasted. And I know, same with Kelly, same with my mom and dad and family members. And, I mean, this was, this was not a light prayer effort. This was a heavy prayer effort. And many of you around then uh, who were here prayed uh, for that. Um, for me, it was a giant pressure. A giant weight on my shoulders. It's all I thought about. I couldn't get any work done. I didn't want to do anything. I prayed and I thought and I worried and I read and, and prayed and, and it was agonizing for me. And then there was a moment when I flat out experienced God. And this is, this is like the time in my life when I would say I experienced the God of the universe. Um, I was in Tops. Grocery store, and I had just uh, got done with a fast—just you know, not eating and praying for for my daughter, and and hoping that things would would fix themselves, um, or that God would fix things. And I remember—I remember it vividly. Um, I walking; it was probably eleven o'clock at night, and um, you know, praying and agonizing and thinking and worrying through. Tops. And I rounded the corner into the cereal aisle. And there in the cereal aisle of tops, I experienced the God of the universe. Um, as ridiculous as it sounds, it was as though God stopped time. And I stood before him in his presence, and he questioned me. And I remember him saying very clearly, and I didn't see anything, and I didn't hear anything audibly, uh, it was like an inner being deep in my spirit thing when I knew God said, can a person with Down syndrome worship my son? And I said, yes, I know that that people with Down syndrome can be followers of Jesus. Can a person with Down syndrome love people like I've commanded? Absolutely. Can a person With Down syndrome? Does a person with Down syndrome exhibit every kingdom quality that I teach about in Scripture? Generosity, love, kindness, peacefulness. Yes, all of that. And then I know God asked me are they not then destined for eternal greatness because of all that? And I realized, yes, what a better recipe for eternal kingdom greatness than to live life like someone with that special need. And then I know that God asked me, now what would you have me do? Because I realized at that moment that I was praying about things and against things that I was that were out of my league. And at that moment, I said, I don't know. And then I was back in tops. And life went on. But from that moment on, I learned the scripture that says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my ways are above your ways, O oh man. And that can literally be translated, you know, the stars, like it, like you're talking light years. As high as the stars are above us here on the ground. That's how high God's ways and thinking is above my way of thinking. And I realized that while I was praying and agonizing and begging, I could trust God's decision because I don't have all the information. Now, I walked out of there with a tremendous burden lifted from my heart. And my shoulders, believing that God had heard my prayer, feeling like I thought I knew that God was going to intervene. But months later, we did give birth to Alexis Faith Poindexter, and uh, she had Down syndrome. And she was only with us for eight days and then um, had some heart defects and things um, and, and died there. Um And I cannot begin to tell you that I understand um, the why of it. Uh, I, I, I don't know everything that was going on there, but I believe that God heard. And I believe that God made a decision. And while I'm not happy with that decision, and it was absolutely, I don't want you to think that I went through that with complete peace and acceptance because that was the, and still is the hardest thing, and there's still not a single day goes by that I don't think about Lexi and what could have been. Um, But my wife and I are different people because of it. Um, I feel like I uh, feel deeper, connect with people on a deeper level, I'm closer with God because of it. I think my wife and I are closer to each other because of it. We appreciate things more. Um, We are advocates in areas that we would have never been. So though God did not provide the instant thing that we would have wanted, He still put us through a journey that has created in us healing and wholeness. And Camille is going to come up and sing a song that for my wife and I has become um, a great way to put words and art to what we learned about healing through our very difficult time. So <clears throat> I want to close. Um, I'm going to do some prayer time in a minute, but um, I, I just want to walk you through uh, for me. And I, I may have talked with you about this a few months ago. Um, when I was in Israel a year ago, people ask, you know, what was your, must've been a lot of amazing things there to walk where Jesus walked. What was the high, what was the point where you just knew God was near when you would. And, and for me, uh, the moment in Israel when I felt closest to God was at Bethlehem in the shepherd's fields. And and God goes a long way in Scripture to um, to compare us to sheep and himself to the shepherd. And, and you know, sheep are fairly defenseless. They're, they're not dumb, they're just defenseless, and sometimes they don't always know what's good for them. And they need to be dependent on the shepherd to protect them. Um, closeness with the shepherd is very important for the sheep. And most sheep uh, are born with the um, tendency to stay close to the shepherd. Uh, They're they're a caring, nurturing kind of animal that like to be close to their shepherd. But every now and then, a sheep is a wanderer. And fairly early on, a shepherd will will know that that sheep's a wanderer, and it's going to be in danger if it doesn't learn. To stay close to me. And and while we were there in Israel, the, the, the guide, familiar with shepherd culture with a thick Hebrew accent, um, is talking us through this. And, and he said, still to this day, it took place, you know, thousands of years ago in Jesus' day and time, but still to this day, when a shepherd knows that he has a wanderer, um, he will fairly quickly break its leg to where it can't stand on its own anymore, and he will carry the sheep. On, its, on his back, you know, with one set of legs here and one set of legs here, and he'll carry the sheep around for 42 days for, for six weeks. And um, after the leg heals and the shepherd puts the sheep down, uh, that sheep will follow the shepherd closely everywhere he goes. He'll go from being a wanderer to being one of the sheep most dependent on the shepherd. And when I was in Israel... And I heard that story, I couldn't help but think about that season of life where we prayed so hard for something we felt needed to happen. And I don't necessarily believe that God caused any of it. He certainly allowed it. Um, But I I can say that in our lives, to go through that valley, to have that time of brokenness where God carries you through, you can certainly see that sometimes the healing we pray for is not as holistic as the healing God may have in mind for you or your family to go through. So when you pray, I still believe that Jesus does still heal. And we need to pray in faith that he will, believing that we are heard and trusting the shepherd to respond in the way that is best for us in our situation. So we're going to have a time of prayer right now. We're going to do one more song. And during this prayer, um, you know, if there's anything that that you need prayer for, maybe it's for healing of something physical. Maybe it's for healing of something relational or emotional or mentally. Or, or maybe you just need something more physical in terms of a job or whatever. Whatever you need prayer for, please feel free to just come down while we're singing. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And um, I'm going to pray. And then during this song, there will be some of us down here waiting for you. If you need anything, we'd love to pray with you during this this song. <coughs> Father, We know that when you healed the leper, when Jesus healed that leper that day, that was an easy thing. And everything that we ask of you is very doable and very easy for you. Um, but here we stand as, as sons and daughters of the dust. And you are high above us, as high as the heavens, as high as the stars, are above the earth that's how high and far your thinking is above ours and that's a helpless place to be and we rely on you as our shepherd and we trust you try to trust you to to do what's best for us and so we bring you our needs and our cares now and please teach us and show us your ways in jesus name